You are listening to Let's Talk Trio on podcasts. Keep up with the latest episodes by downloading the Podbean app or stream episodes via our social media accounts. Search for Let's Talk Trio on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. This episode is sponsored by Student Access. Student Access, the leader in Trio software. Student Access is an online database solution that allows TRIO programs to track their students' information, connect with students by text messages, streamline the APR, and work from anywhere, all online, with automatic updates for changes from the Department of Education. Their technical support team includes former TRIO staff and has over 50 years of combined experience working with TRIO. Make it easier to focus on your priority, the students. For more information and to request a free demo, visit their website at www.studentaccess.com or call them toll-free at 1-800-801-1232. That website again is www.studentaccess.com or 1-800-801-1232. Be sure to share your favorite episodes on your social media by tapping that share button. This is a great way to support the podcast. Now here's your host, Juan Rivas. Thank you, Amelia, for that wonderful introduction. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Trio. I am your host, Juan Rivas. In this episode, we have Janelle Seward, a graduate of Iowa State University and Trio alum. Janelle is on the podcast to talk to us about her journey in education, her experience in the TRIO program, and forming her own education consultant company. So coming up in just a bit, Janelle Seward. I'd like to take a second to thank our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario O'Reilly, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast. You too can be a sponsor of the Let's Talk TRIO podcast. Head on over to Patreon Select your sponsor level. We have multiple levels. You can select the most basic one, start at a dollar a month. A dollar a month goes a long way in supporting this podcast. If you are a company and would like to advertise on our podcast, select the sponsorship level on Patreon and we will run your ad on this podcast for $100 a month. Get in touch with us for details. Staff, students, alum, advocates, you too can be on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Send us an email at letstalktrio at gmail.com. Again, that email is L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. A great episode featuring Janelle Seward, Trio alum, and Iowa State University graduate. I had a great time recording this episode with Janelle. I think she provided a lot of great advice and reflected truly on her journey uh, in trio uh, in her education and now uh, having a consultant uh, company educational consultant company uh, and really some great financial advice as well so uh, we hope that you enjoy sit back relax and enjoy this episode five four three two one Hello, Trio Nation. Our guest on the Let's Talk Trio podcast was an advisor for the educational talent search at Iowa State University. She is currently the CEO and founder of Time with Janelle, an education, coaching, and training consultancy for students, parents, districts, and schools that have a passion for helping teenagers, 
young adults, and college students achieve their goal. She completed her bachelor's degree in English and a master's in higher education administration at Iowa State University in 2005 and 2011, respectively. She is a former talent search, upward bound, and student support services participant, which she credits for pushing her toward her educational goals. Please welcome Janelle Seward to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Janelle, welcome. Thank you for having me. I am honored to be here and honored to be interviewed um, on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. We're so happy to have you. And first, thank you so much for taking the time to meet with me and discuss your journey in education and your background in TRIO. Uh, so when we first connected, I didn't realize you were a TRIO alum. Yes, I um, have been in TRIO since seventh grade. I started in ETS um, and then in 2000, yes, year 2000, Iowa State actually got their grant back. Um, they wrote um, and received the grant back. And so they recruited for Upward Bound. So ever since, you know, 2000, I've been deeply connected to TRIO um, through Upward Bound. And then I also participated in student support services um, at Iowa State during my junior and senior years in college. Right on. So you really have a wide breadth of experience with the TRIO programs as a participant and then kind of also giving back. And we'll talk about your professional experience as well. Yes, yes. It's been amazing. Fantastic. So this year has been kind of a weird year for a lot of people in this country. It looks like we're heading back to normal or at least as close to normal as possible. How have you adjusted during this pandemic and in what ways did it impact you? Uh, it's been crazy because the pandemic has been so long that it's kind of hard to remember what pre-pandemic life was like. Um, I think, you know, what is it, you know, 21 days to create a new habit. I think oh, yeah. we're into the 21 days of creating a new habit. <laughs> right. um, it's almost like for those of you who have children, you can't remember what your life was like pre-kids. Um, it has been that altering. Um, for me, I, I don't think we'll fully know the effect until we look back in history and say, this was like pre-pandemic and this was like post-pandemic. I haven't mm. even fully analyzed it yet, um, partly because I don't want to know that my life has changed that much. Um, yeah, uh, but it has been it has been life altering, but it's also made me reflect on what was important in life yeah. Um, yeah. during this time. It has been one of the most eye opening experiences of if you are locked down and you can't go anywhere and all of those amenities of life are taken away and you're stripped down to the basics what makes your life enjoyable what makes you happy what gives you joy because all of the outside factors are no longer contributing to that and so it, I think for a lot of people it made you do that internal work during this time that is wonderful I love how you really reflected on that uh, part of the pandemic how right who are you outside of your work and outside of what what you do in the outside world who are you when you're by yourself and enjoying the things that you do. So that's an amazing yeah. reflection. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of people, I mean, a lot of people, I think, you know, home renovations shot up because people were trying to make their homes, their castles and their palaces um, because you couldn't go anywhere. Um, and for me, I live in an apartment, so I wasn't altering anything. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and so, yeah, I had to do that internal work, but it looked made me look at the areas where I could improve because we had nothing but, opportunity. Um, I won't say space and opportunity because your space is dependent on how yeah. big your apartment or your house was, but nothing but opportunity during that time. So, right. 
Right. The last year and six months have been very stressful and at times very confusing for folks. Uh, again, with your reflection question, that really brought that up. But for you, how did you cope with or get through the quarantine time within that lockdown state? Yeah. So uh, I'm a person when I'm stressed, I go to the gym, but all the gyms are closed. Uh, yeah. uh, there's nothing like, you know, throwing weight when you have a lot of stress. Um, but instead of going to the gym, um, luckily, I lived near a very walkable area. Um, and so I was able to walk and I would listen to audiobooks. And so that was a thing that gave me, um, you know, solace. Um, typically, I would listen to audiobooks on my way to and from work. Um, but since I was not driving to work um, and my work was, you know, in my living room, um, I walked and listened to audiobooks. And so that was great for me. Um, if there's anybody who wants somebody who can walk a 12 or 13 minute mile for anybody's, you know, mall walkers club, I have one of the fastest times probably <laughs> in the nation. I got really good at um, walking and walking very quickly um, because I would do it on my lunch breaks. And so I figured I could get a mile or two in on that half an hour. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, I really enjoyed um, listening to audiobooks and walking and taking in nature um, because, again, everything was limited. So I did have a uh, new respect for nature being outside so much because um, that was, again, the one amenity <laughs> that we did have and we could mm -hmm. enjoy that couldn't be taken away from us. Absolutely. So you said audiobooks, and there, I think during the pandemic, there was like a debate between book readers, ebook readers, uh -huh. and audiobook readers. Like, are is audiobooks considered reading? I feel like it is because you're listening to the story, right? And you're engaged with it. Yeah. Um, where do you stand on audiobooks, ebooks, and books? Where, what's your take? Um, I do love a good book, um, a page turner, you know, when you can feel the progress you've made. Because, you know, there's nothing like, you know, filling that spine and seeing that you're halfway through the book versus like looking at the audio chapters and, you know, seeing the time. Um, mm -hmm. But I do that enjoy that audiobooks allow you to multitask. Um, and so that is uh, the benefit of it is that I could still get the purpose of the book and the message from the book while also walking or exercising or driving. Um, and so it, for me, it just was... Uh, plain and simple, it helps you to maximize your time more. Um, reading an actual book, I do more so um, in leisure if I'm, you know, wanting to calm down. Typically, mm. reading will make me sleepy <laughs> um, because it is so relaxing and it yeah. allows you to take your mind um, to places because you're reading at your own pace, you're imagining things. And I think with an audiobook, the imagination isn't as vivid because you're listening to it in someone else's voice and yeah. that's kind of narrating it for you. You know, it's not um, Samuel L. Jackson or <laughs> anybody else that, you know, is, has a nice narrator voice. Um, but, but with the actual book, it's a little bit more vivid. Um, and so I do like it. So there are benefits to both. Um, and so I use them appropriately. Right on. Awesome. So you're kind of, uh, you know, Jack of all trades with the with the with the uh, books uh, whatever whatever format. I I personally I I loved uh, being able to read a book um, physically. Then it yeah. kind of just translated over to ebooks. So I have all my okay. books on my phone. Um, oh, I haven't done an audio book yet, and I want to. Uh, I wanted to jump into an audio book to see how that works. But yeah, yeah I'm, I'm, the phone though that doesn't like scrolling doesn't. Oh, so it's kind of like you flip it like a page and it goes from like right to left and you just kind of flip it. So it's really cool. I mean, I think you could adjust it to scroll up or down, but 
I, okay. I like that it kind of mimics the the page turning. So okay, that's pretty nice. cool. See, I haven't seen any ebooks like that. Everything I've seen is like oh, you yeah, scroll. scroll. Really? I don't know. My thumb's not built for this. <laughs> <laughs> but you did say uh you've read like 12 or 24 books. Yeah, so that's my goal. It's I'm trying to read uh 24 books this year. I'm at book, I finished book 19. I'm heading oh. into book 20. I'm currently reading War of the Worlds by H. G. Wells. Um, okay. but I've read, I've, I read, um, the last one I read was, uh, the, the distance between us by Reina Grande and okay. really loved that book. It was about immigration and how it tears families apart. Uh, it was oh, her wow. own kind of biography or autobiography. Um, but yeah, what, what type of books do you like to, to read or, um, lately I've been reading like more of the self-reflective, Ooh, um, yeah. because again, the pandemic has, um, kind of shifted me and like it's like what is your purpose like again if you're going to spend time you know time is an asset really everybody is. gets the same amount we all spend it how yeah. we spend it we can either waste it or we can invest it and mm -hmm. it will later pay off and so I've been looking at you know this pandemic has shifted me and thinking about what do I really want to do what is you know my purpose and what do I feel will leave the biggest impact after I'm gone? Um, and how can I enrich others' lives? Um, what's the way that I can do that the best? And so um, those are the like the books that, you know, require me to reflect um, and to pursue greater. So Believing uh, Bigger is one of the books that I read by uh, Marshawn Evans Daniels. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a great book um, in, talk in terms of talking about purpose. Um, yeah, I mean, I believe you should read. Um, I think everybody should read. Um, so interesting story in TRIO. Um, I got into TRIO the end of my sophomore year. My junior year was my first full year in TRIO. And I had a goal um, to read somewhere around like 20 books or something similar oh, wow. to you. Yeah, yeah. And so I read, I think I read 15 or 16 books that year. And that was a year in high school that I had the best GPA ever. I had oh, wow. uh, of 16 grades, I had 15 A's and one B that year. And so I do think there's a correlation between reading and performing better. So um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll share with you very quickly. And this is kind of a shout out to my dad if he's listening. Uh, yeah. So he listened to a lot of my early podcasts when I first started three years ago. And one of his critiques was, was uh so I, I noticed that you stumble a little bit on your words and I was like yeah I kind of do you know I try to correct that and he goes you should read more I was like come on like really that's gonna really help I took his advice started reading more and I felt like my fluency was a little bit better on the podcast yes. so yeah yes. I mean, shout I out to my dad yeah awesome good job dad for encouraging him to read I I mean I feel like you know, when you're in grad school, you read so much. You read like, I don't know, they give you like 15 articles in three days to read them yeah. and they're each like 30 pages. And so, yeah. um, but I could tell the difference in the types of conversations that I have when I'm reading and I'm challenged to read versus when I'm just performing and doing work. And so mm. I wish that that were a part of even everyone's professional lives to have maybe like a book club club something to constantly challenge those working for you yeah think about the current issues but just to have you know a conversation about that but there there's definitely a correlation between those two absolutely uh, janelle you gave me an idea maybe we should start a trio po uh, podcast with with books you know or start a book club 
it would be yeah like oprah's book club we'd have yeah. our own trio that would honestly that would be great because uh one of the books that you mentioned the book about immigration i was like man i'm gonna have to go look that up and read that because right now i am craving that more intellectual um side of reading of like i need this to make me think about the world around me and how this is affecting the students i work with and yeah. so yeah i'm excited about that we should exchange books so i'll give you a, a recommendation and you can give me your recommendation that would be really yes. awesome Sounds great. Sounds great. <laughs> awesome. Um, and during this pandemic, people were also taking their time to learn new hobbies like cooking, baking, you know, maybe getting into music. For me, it was like really hitting podcasting. Uh, yeah. For others, it was picking up something that they enjoyed doing. Like uh, we were just talking about reading. Um, and like I just shared with you last year, I was reading 12 books. Like that was my goal last year. And my friends mm -hmm. have really challenged me like, hey, try reading 24. So I'm getting closer. But was there any was there anything that inspired you during this lockdown era that inspired you in a creative way? Yes. So um, slightly before the pandemic, I had started like crafting with the you know friend from work. We'd you know meet up. Um, but during the pandemic, I took it on a little bit more seriously. I'm someone who loves making um, gifts for people. I'm a gift giver. Um, and so I learned uh, using Cricut how to design from scratch. Um, so I've learned how to make, you know, uh, vinyls for water bottles. Um, I've made t-shirts. Um, I've made party decorations. I've made a little bit of everything. Um, and so it's great to see that progress of picking up something that you had no idea about mm -hmm. and then self-teaching um, because it's like, man, I can learn. And you don't always necessarily need an instructor, especially if you're a, a hands-on learner. Mm -hmm. um, so that has been great. Um, the other area um, is that I learned how to invest in, and trade Ooh. in uh, stocks Ooh. and cryptocurrencies. And so um, I have a 14 year old son. And so I was challenging him during the pandemic. I'm like, we have nothing but opportunity come out of this pandemic with a skill. Um, and so even through that journey, I was talking to him about it um, and showing him the real application of math um, oh, yeah. within the context of money. And so, you know, a lot of students would be like, I hate math. I don't like math. Um, yeah. I don't think they hate math. They just haven't found like, you know, trigonometry or geometry mm. applicable. And right. so I always tell students and my son, you cannot have money without math. So if you hate math, you're saying you hate money. Um, but even <laughs> looking at, you know, how things in stocks grow and looking at the percentages and even like the multiplication of, you know, if something was $10 last year and now is $100, like, okay, if you have a goal of making, you know, money mm -hmm. <laughs> or a certain amount of money, how much did you need to put in in the beginning? Um, just because like, uh, we'll take, for instance, my son loves tennis shoes, uh, sneakers. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm not a big fan of them uh just 250 dollars for you to walk yeah. you know is a lot if you have more than one pair um but so i took the the analogy of you know i don't know if you know cryptocurrency but like dogecoin everybody has heard about the meme the yeah. dog dogecoin well i told him i was like well you have four pairs of shoes in there that is dad bought them not me uh <laughs> that's about a thousand dollars and had you taken that thousand dollars and you know June of 2020 mm -hmm. and now you would have about a hundred thousand wow. dollars and so helping him to see that 
you can invest in shoes and they're going to sit there and they're not going to make you any money. Right. Or you can look at opportunities to where your money could grow. And so that was one of the areas that I really started looking into for myself, but also for my son. Um, Because I grew up in a household where no one ever talked to me about budgeting, about finances. I had to figure those things out on my own. And Mm -hmm. then I actually went back and taught all of my other sisters those things. And so I don't want my son to have to go through those things. And so as a teenager, I'm encouraging him to be smart with his money, um, but to look at opportunities because I don't think within our communities um, and uh, as, you know, people of color, those things are talked about Mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. Um, No, I agree. I think uh, it's a, it's a common theme in first generation students is that the ability to learn how to manage money. And I think you've hit on a very important point there. It's, it, it affects our communities, right? And, and it, at, at times we don't know how to handle money, uh, even in, I mean, my, myself, I'm still learning and still trying to figure that out, but I've picked up habits that my parents formed. Right. And then now trying to unlearn those habits and trying yeah. to break away from that. So yeah. Yeah. Very it, yeah it's very hard. Um, it's very hard because it's Absolutely. habitual. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, my next question to you is going to be about there were a lot of the social challenges that were happening in our country, especially in the midst of an election of last year and the mask, no mask mandates, and then the, uh, the vaccination requirements. It really prompted a heated discussion about one medical advice, but there were also a lot, there was also a lot of social justice stuff happening at the same time. Uh, for you, what stood out during this time? For me, um, you know, I'm not even gonna, you know, make it pretty, but the George Floyd Floyd incident, um, and the events that followed in the protests, um, for me, that was a really hard time. Um, I mean, we're all adjusting to a pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, we're inside. Um, so our mind states are already not normal in a sense, Um, but then to see this incident and not only hear about it, but see the actual incident, the video of it um, was very crushing. Mm -hmm. I was like, I I don't even think I can encapture like the emotions. Um, So for me, raising a teenage black boy, and I believe he was only 12 at the time, was hard because in society, he's at that age. And with the students we work with, right? In TRIO, you're working with, you know, seventh graders through 12th graders. Um, And for me, I worked mostly with students of color. And so to see that at that age where you're trying to create an identity for yourself, Mm -hmm. and then the world is showing you how they treat you Mm -hmm. um, and that your life can be taken over supposed fake money mm-hmm. um, or allegations of fake money was very hard. And so for me, I was trying to process it all while also trying to reinforce to my son that, you know, you are valuable, you are loved, your worth is greater than this. Um, there's going to be a lot of debate about the things that you do and don't do, but then also having to have that talk with my son um, and reflect and say, you know what, you know, remember when Halloween, when you wanted to, you know, be the, the mass person and you wanted to carry a knife and I wouldn't let you, 
you know, mm-hmm. even although it was a prop and it was fake, mm-hmm. these are the things, these are the reasons why. And right. so for me, we were in history, like this is something that's going to be reflected on. Yep. So we were making history, um, but helping my son to process that in the time because memories can get foggy, but to help him to remember what was really going on, but then using it as an educational point to talk about history. Um, my philosophy, personal philosophy is that I don't believe it is totally up to the schools to educate our children. Mm. And the reason why I say that is because, again, working with students of color, if your history is not reflected in the curriculum, then you're going to think that you're not valuable. Yeah. And so I always encourage students, look up your specific history. What have your, what have your ancestors contributed? you have to find that worth within yourself because if you want the school to tell you you're important, if you look at the curriculum, you're not going to find your words from that. And right. so helping my son to understand that is like, we can open books. We can look at these things. We might not be able to teach it in schools. It might not be on the curriculum, but that doesn't mean that this is an important and valid. And so I think a lot of times when you're a kid, you look at the school to tell you what's important. And when you're not reflected in that, that curriculum, you don't think that you're important. And so I don't want students and even my son to think that they're not important because of the curriculum that they see and the history that's told and the way that it's told, you know? And so that was kind of where I was at in that point and making sure that I used that time to reinforce all the great things about my son um, and his self-worth. Yeah. I'm so glad that, uh, you know, parents are able to communicate with their children and say, you're, you're very valued, uh, because mm-hmm. of these events. Don't think that, uh, you're not valued here, right. That mm-hmm. society may see something different in you. And I, you know, I've had my personal experiences with, uh, prejudice and discrimination, um, yes. at a very early age where you, yeah. know, you get accused for something you didn't do. And yeah. you're, you're having to kind of face the consequences, even though, right. They're, you, you had nothing to do with anything and you're still being, you know, the finger's still pointing at you. So, yeah, and it's um, hurtful. Yeah, it, absolutely. It's hurtful. And you may not even like realized it then, but like, as you get older and you look back at that, you're like, wow, that kind of changed me or changed the way that, you know, maybe I conduct myself in certain situations. And it, it's sad because we mm. want to live in this, you know, colorblind world. Um I'll put that in quotations, colorblind world. Um, But I mean, my son, I remember his, he doesn't remember, but his first incident of being discriminated against, I was in grad school, he was like three. And somebody told him, you know, a white kid told him he couldn't play with another white kid, because Hmm. he was black. And my son being three, didn't understand. uh, I'm biracial, you know, so my son's grandpa's white. Um, And so he didn't understand. He was like, you know, I'm red and he's blue, like referring to the colors of shirts they had. He was mm-hmm. like, what are you talking about? Like, yeah. and so it was just um, very interesting that that's how young it starts. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. Thank you, Janelle, for sharing that uh, personal story and for yeah. sharing us your, your reflection on those social events that happened. Um, they continue to happen, right? It's a continuing conversation. Yes. So kind of going on the uh, little bit lighter side, what was the thing yeah. you missed doing the most pre-pandemic? Uh, most uh, pre-pandemic was traveling. traveling? Um, yes, I definitely 
miss, you know, looking at an opportunity to take my son somewhere he hadn't been. Uh, we were actually looking, you know, I wanted to get him near the ocean. Um, mm -hmm. At that time, I was living in Iowa. Now I live in Texas. Um, but yeah, I wanted to get him near the ocean uh, so he can just see, you know, the power <laughs> of the water um, mm -hmm. and, and have that experience of seeing how massive it, it was. Um, mm -hmm. That's still on our radar um, to go <laughs> to the ocean sometime soon. But yeah, I miss just traveling and looking for a good flight deal and organizing a trip. Um. <laughs> I'll share with you that uh, some of my kids have been kind of getting a little bit restless and I'll tell them, yeah, we're, we're going to travel. We've been going all around Colorado, just kind of seeing, you know, the state that we live in, but yeah. they're really itching for that outside of state travel. So I'm yes. like, all right, we're going to plan something, maybe New York City, maybe Florida. We'll see. But Colorado uh, yeah. was beautiful though, uh, with like the mountains. State. And that was actually when I wanted my son to experience flying. I got like oh, a really? dirty flight from uh, Frontier, I think combined round trip. Our tickets mm. were like a hundred dollars. Oh, uh, <laughs> and so we went to the the mountains and we did like Red Rock, Dino Mountain, toward oh, the Nuggets uh, arena. And it was like a very quick trip you know being in trio if you take a trio trip with your students you know that it's like non-stop go oh yeah it's go 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 uh, and so i i had that kind of vibe planned for my son um and so it was a really quick quick trip but it was it was beautiful the mountains were beautiful and my son's very observant and he was like man everybody's here ju is just so active and he was like eight at the time i'm like that's a great observation for an eight-year-old um but yeah everybody was active and i love that about uh colorado and i look to go back sometime all right. Yeah. Well, whenever you come back, uh, please hit me up and I'll, yes. I'm more than happy to give your family a tour of, uh, well, I'm in Fort Collins and it's okay. beautiful hiking area and it's a very pedestrian friendly city. So whenever you all are here, let me know. Yes. We did not hike because I saw a sign that said uh, something about rattlesnakes or snakes. Oh. And it's like, yeah. I did not Those prepare <laughs> and I did not read and educate myself. So we're going to turn around. <laughs> so, so we did not hike very much. <laughs> totally get that. Um, what does your day-to-day -day look like now, uh, now that we're getting closer to the normal, if, if you want to, yeah. if there's a word? Yeah, so closer to the normal. Um, just recently, I started exploring um, outside of the, um, outside of my, you know, area. Um, being in uh, Dallas, you know, Texas area, DFW area, the cases here were still high. Um vaccination no vaccination wherever you stand on that that's uh people's personal preference um mm -hmm. but i did get vaccinated um and then my son i didn't want to push him towards that um and so i was waiting for him to make the decision um and once he did uh then we were able to freely move about um so now i'm able to move about explore some things in texas uh but my day to day um looks like me educating myself on the policies and the educational uh, policies here in Texas. Uh, it's a lot different from Iowa, mm, <laughs> um, mm. a lot different from Iowa. Um, so I'm going to be doing that. I'm going to be networking and then also working on um, my company um, and as well as following the cryptocurrency <laughs> um, charts and trends uh, because uh, yeah, that is a, uh, uh, we're in a bull market, so I'll just say that. <laughs> okay. You know those terms very, very well, it sounds like. And um, I think for a lot of amateur uh, investors like myself uh, who yes. use like the Robin Hat, Robinhood app or other yeah. apps to, to help 
kind of with getting inter introduced into that. Yep. There's yep. always kind of like this shyness around it. Like, uh, I'm not sure if I'm doing the right thing. So yeah, love that, yeah, you're, that you're great. If you're starting off, it's trying to create the frictionlessness or, you know, less friction to getting started. And so I do appreciate Robinhood for that. So once you get your feet wet in Robinhood, you can start exploring some of the uh, more advanced apps that have uh, a wider selection of uh, cryptocurrencies to invest in. Wow. Amazing. Awesome. Thank you, Janelle. Uh, so let's take it back to your childhood, actually. That was a beautiful transition there. Can you tell us about yourself as a child and what do you remember most? Okay. So um, I grew up in a large family, a blended family of 11 people. So um, in I grew up in Iowa. Um, we actually lived in a larger city, Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And then around the time I was five, my dad wanted to go into nursing school. Um, and so we moved to uh, Fort Dodge, which is a smaller um, town so that he can pursue nursing. Um, but when we got there, that's when he met my stepmom. So it was just prior to that, um, it was my dad um, and three girls. Uh, then he met my stepmom, who was the mother of four girls. <laughs> and so my family kind of like doubled overnight. And then uh, within a couple of years, they added my two younger sisters. And so we became a family of 11, uh, two parents and nine girls. So I grew up in a household with eight sisters. Um, wow. Yeah. So you can imagine eight girls um, in a, I think a four bedroom house, is the biggest place that four we lived house. in. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So there must have been some house. doubling up happening, right? Like people. Yes. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. Definitely sharing a bed or sharing a bunk bed or, you know, uh, or a twin bed <laughs> at times. <laughs> but, but yeah. So uh, I grew up with eight sisters and, um, you know, it had its challenges, but it also had, you know, some fun times as well. Um, I was the nerd in the family. Um, growing up, I liked school among my sisters. That wasn't the popular route. Um, and so, yeah, I did get teased um, growing up, but I did um, really appreciate school. Like, um, yeah, I, I enjoyed going to school, look forward to going to school. I did not like the summers as much. <laughs> <laughs> I can only imagine little Janelle, like getting ready for school, like taking school super seriously and just yeah. being super structured. Yes. Yeah, I do. Yeah. And I like structure. Yes. I'm a type A personality. So <laughs> that's awesome. Um, so what was your reaction to having to enter elementary school, like starting school at the very beginning? Yeah. So um, kindergarten, we, again, we had just moved to Fort Dodge from Cedar Rapids. And so I was very um shy um at that time uh there was a lot of changes happening at home so i mentioned that i moved with my dad but during that time um i had no idea where my biological mother was mm -hmm. so i had some challenges and so while i enjoyed school i still had that social and emotional um side going mm -hmm. um but for me school was a safe haven i actually met my you know childhood friend uh shanna there we're friends still to this day um wow. and so i really enjoyed going to school um i went to three different elementaries though in um <laughs> during that time and so i did first and second grade at a school and then um or excuse me kindergarten and first grade and then i moved to another school for second and third and then fourth grade i was at another school 
Um, and then where I was at, middle school starts in fifth. But okay. um, yeah, so there wasn't a lot of consistency and it was a hmm. uh, time with, you know, family life. There was a lot of instability. Um, although I was a smart kid and I enjoyed school, I still had issues with um, like reading. Um, I was always in like the chapter one reading program um, to help with my reading. Yeah. Yeah. I can relate to some of your experiences. I think growing up in a household where my parents exclusively spoke Spanish um, <laughs> and then having to enter kindergarten, I felt super underprepared. Um, yes. I had to pick up English along the way. And from there, I was enrolled in a lot of ESL classes. So yeah, I, I understand the challenges that come with that. So absolutely. Yeah. So then um, I'll ask you a question. So yeah. then like while you were learning English on the fly, was that experience then that you had to help your parents? Yes. In understanding in English and translating and, you know, and documenting, you know, and the pressures of that. Taking English phone calls, taking, yes. uh, having to help them fill out English forms, and then having to tell them when the parent-teacher conferences were, and then being an interpreter when the teachers were talking, and I'd have to, like, translate for my parents. Yeah. yeah. And that pressure on on kids for that. And uh, it's very interesting that you talk about that experience because, you know, when we're talking about, you know, with students with scholarship essays, mm. you know, when students have a similar experience, I always ask them to reflect on that time and really pull out of that something that they can use for their scholarship essay. Because a lot of people don't know what that's like to be the person that, although you're a kid, you're put in an adult's shoes and you have to make sure that the adult understands in this situation so that they can then make their decisions based off of that. That mm. is a lot of pressure for kids. And I don't think that enough people in education give those students props for that. Mm. Like, oh, very true. That is major, like that's major life skills right there. Thank you so much for highlighting that. Like I really never thought about, th thought about it that way. And now kind of reflecting, I'm like, you know what? She makes sense. That that is a lot of responsibility on a child's shoulder, and to reflect on it and say, "I had a hand in helping my parents make very life-altering decisions uh, through that." So. While trying to educate yourself, right, right, and, oh at those primitive years of, you know, yeah, it's it. I, I I don't think that we look at that and praise those students enough. Like we need to, you know, those students need an award. Like. You know, we look at the, the way they may struggle in the classroom because of all that, but like give them grace. Like they're far more advanced right. than, you know, Sally, who's just learning her ABCs because there are so many other skills that these students are learning. But again, that's not on the multiple choice test. And so right. you're not pulling that out as important. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much, uh, Janelle, for reflecting with me on that. Like I really never thought about it that way before, but now it kind of mulling, over, mulling on that. I'm like, hmm, I never really gave not only myself, but my siblings enough credit about how, what we did to help our parents along, but also it, it really speaks to, um, like you said, the school's inability to see past uh, the students in a right, their, their struggle with learning a language it, and not being able to see the student is also doing this at home. Doing yes, this, yes. So appreciate that. Um, and, and talking about school, did you have a, a favorite subject uh, in elementary? Was there, was there anything that you really uh, um, gravitated toward or you really liked? Yes. So although I did have challenges in reading, uh, which is kind of ironic, right? Um, <laughs> that spelling was my favorite subject. Um, oh, really? And so, yeah. And so it's very, very interesting because, you know, I really gravitated towards spelling in third grade. I had a teacher named Miss Aaron's. And so I can remember the moment that like 
I was like, okay, I gained academic confidence for like the first time. And so we had a spelling test of 50 words. And so if you missed like five or less, you got a prize. And so, you know, Miss Erin, she's standing up there and she's like, okay, these are the students that missed five, you know, come up and get a prize. These are students that missed four, come up and get a prize. And I'm like, these are the students that missed three. And I'm thinking, you know, I missed at least three and she didn't say my name. And I was like, okay, I'm like, okay, maybe I only missed two. And she was like, called him up, didn't say my name. And she's like, well, this is a student that only missed one. And she didn't say my name. And so I'm like sitting there and I'm like, man, I missed more than five on this 50 word spelling test. And I was like feeling down at myself. And she was like, the only student who didn't miss any was Janelle. And I was like shocked. And I was like, oh my gosh, I didn't miss any. And so I was like, I'm good at this. And so I remember that exact moment as being the moment when I gained academic confidence. And so that was also the teacher who looked at my writing. And again, although I struggled in reading and was in this, you know, uh, reading uh, class to help me, you know, get to the right reading levels for my grade, um, she saw my writing. Um, And so she put me, um, she nominated me to go on this like writing trip. And so in third grade, I went to like this writer's workshop at like a college nearby. And so that's when I gained my, my academic confidence with which then over the years built up. And then I ended up majoring in English when I went to college. So. Wow, Janelle, that's amazing. So it's, it's great to see right when the moment that education just kind of speaks to you and it clicks, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. And I think of like, you know, I draw on that and I'm like, if we encourage more students, again, with just something small, what moment can we help create for them that they will, you know, hang on to for a lifetime, but could change their trajectory? Absolutely. Absolutely. So in the opposite end of that, what subjects were challenging for you? Uh, I think, honestly, the subjects that were the, the hardest for me were literature and science. Literature, partly because, you know, I was in this reading class, which I ended up testing out of, um, but I was in this reading class. And so I was always labeled, uh, you know, um, when it came to reading. And so I didn't have the best confidence in that, but also in order to get an A, and I think like throughout my whole educational career, literature is the only class that I ever got like a D in. Um, Mm -hmm. And it was because I had to ask my parents to sign a reading chart every week. And if you're in a family of 11, like I tell students like, or people now, I don't like attention because growing up, attention was a negative thing. Like you only got attention if you're getting in trouble. And so I didn't want to go ask my parent to sign my reading log. And so Mm -hmm. I wouldn't turn them in. Um, And so I ended up getting like a D (laughs) and literature in like fifth grade, because I was too afraid to ask my parents to sign my reading log. Mm -hmm. Um, And then science, because it it allowed a lot of um, critical thinking Um, And just growing up in the environment that I had, uh, that wasn't something that was encouraged. Like in my household, it was like, you know, sit down and shut up and you do what you're told. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't ever that, hey, think about this. It's like, no, you're told what to think. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I even carry that philosophy now with students. Like, I'm not trying to tell you what to think. I want to teach you how to think so that you can make your own decisions and not rely on someone else to create your truth that you can create that for you. Um, 
and so yeah science and literature were a struggle for me gotcha totally relate the, the i think for a lot of students when they reflect a majority of students would say math or they would say <laughs> this very challenging analytical course um yeah. i agree with you i think science for me was also a, a, a huge struggle it was my least favorite subject but I think uh, now reflecting on it, I'm like, well, I could have really done more to engage and really uh, been better at it, right? Yeah. Um, so kind of reflecting on that, for many students, uh, educational access and equity isn't something that they really think about. Um, and now reflecting on my experience, it's like, well, that equity and access, uh, I'm trying to think more of like how it impacted me. But for you, uh, what did you enjoy most about your experience in, in elementary? Uh, yeah, if you, yeah. To, to reflect on that, what was your most enjoyable moment there? Yeah, so aside from the spelling, <laughs> getting all that, the spelling <laughs> words right. Um, for me, I enjoyed um, Girl Scout. Like that was a, oh. the thing that connected. Um, yeah. You know, back then we had to sell cookies door to door mm. or you had to know somebody's workplace where you could put your sign up form. It's not mm. like, you know, the Girl Scouts now got it easy. Um, I think you can buy them online or you can stand outside like Sam's club and mm. the reputation now everybody knows. And so, yeah, I, I think we were selling like, try to had to sell a hundred boxes to get a t-shirt. Oh. Now these kids are selling like 10,000 boxes because of the internet. So free internet and Girl Scouts, we worked hard to sell those hundred boxes. Um, and I had two other sisters in Girl Scouts. So that was 300 boxes between the three of us just yeah. to get a t-shirt. Yeah. Uh, I guess the things you do for clout. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, it was just, um, that was the, the way that I connected and that kind of, you know, taught me some of those life skills, you know, outside of home um, that maybe I wasn't getting. And mm -hmm. that was another place for me to, to feel special. So Absolutely. So y'all really did put the, you know, defined uh, work with what you got before yeah. the absolutely yeah. <laughs> absolutely um as you transition transition to middle school what were some things you noticed about your education um in middle school i learned um that i did again i i really liked school um in middle school i realized that i liked the structure of school mm -hmm. and for us middle school started in fifth grade and so that was the chance where you know you you had a class schedule and you were no longer in one classroom all day um, and you got a locker. And so it gave you that sense of like independence and responsibility. And you learned, you know, your organizational skills. Um, I think that's when I learned that I have a type A personality. Um, <laughs> and, um, for me though, it, it, it is when I started to separate myself from my sisters. Mm -hmm. Um, so aside from the literature class, I naturally got good grades. Um, and two, I think in middle school is kind of where you begin to see the larger reality. Mm -hmm. Um, in elementary school, you're friends with most of the people in your class, maybe a couple people that you play outside for recess in middle school. Now you have more kids in one school. And so you start to see the, um, socioeconomic disparities. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I begin to realize that we were poor as I started looking at people's fashion choices. And again, I had eight sisters. I owned nothing. <laughs> I didn't have anything that was my own. And so, you know, we were sharing clothes. And so for me during that time, 
um, I realized that I was a smart kid, but I was also struggling with everything going on at home and also realizing the difference in socioeconomic status um, of me and my classmates. Definitely. That, I think that experience can be super overwhelming for students. Uh, so how did you adjust and what did you learn about yourself at this point? Let's see, how did I adjust to that? I don't, I don't think that you, you do adjust because nobody talks about it. Yeah, you know, it, it's kind of like you take this, this internal survey and you realize the differences, but you're a kid, there's nothing that you can do. Um, I remember asking my parents like, hey, can I get these certain clothes? And the answer being no. Um, and so, yeah, I had to figure out some other way to fit in with kids mm -hmm. um, or to not be noticed that I didn't fit in. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's kind of where um, I got more into myself and in, in, in my head. Uh, of fly under the radar. Like I'm not a person again, that likes uh, attention, but it was like, do well in school. So they're not pointing you out for being a dumb kid. Um, and I'll put that in quotation marks, you know, the kid that doesn't do well or the kid that's troubled um, don't have any behavioral issues because if people are looking at you, then they're going to criticize you or see that you're not who they are. You don't measure up. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, that was during my, definitely when I started to like fly under the radar, do, do well and keep your head down. Yeah. Uh, was it during middle school that you found out about the uh, talent search program? Um, so yes. Yeah, so middle school, seventh grade um, in my town, seventh and eighth grade were their own school. Um, and so, yes. Yeah, so I found out about talent search. I think I just took the paperwork home and we would meet um, once a month in the cafeteria and they, uh, the talent search advisor had an activity and candy for us. So um, again, growing up in my household, eight sisters, well, candy wasn't something that we had. So I was like, yeah, I'm gonna go here. Absolutely. <laughs> candy and too. learn a little bit about college and do a fun activity. I'm not sure I fully grasped what TRIO was at that point. It was just like, a, hey, we get out of class. And then we went on like a campus visit. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Um, and so I appreciated it for that. Mm -hmm. um, but I didn't fully grasp the weight of what TRIO does and how impactful it was going to be on my life. So. Wow. Okay. Um, so then you're in talent search and then uh, seventh, eighth grade. As you transitioned now from going uh, to middle school to high school, can you describe to us what you felt or thought about the that transition in that phase of your life? Yes. So going from middle school to high school, I remember um, taking it seriously. Again, I, I was a good student. Um, and so when I started high school, I started in the like upper level math class. I'd taken algebra in eighth grade. So I started in like uh, geometry. And I just remember thinking that this is going to be on my transcript forever. Colleges mm -hmm. are going to see this don't mess it up. Um, and so I started focusing where I spent my time and who I spent my time around. So um, I no longer hung out with the people who I had fun with that summer um, because I knew that high school was something that I needed to take seriously. Mm -hmm. uh, where I grew up was not a good neighborhood. Um, so literally 
across the street outside my door was like the major drug corner. So I saw everything happen there. Um, And so I observed my environment and I told myself, if you want a different result, you have to do something different. And so I knew that graduating high school and getting to college was going to be um, my plan to make something different happen for myself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, I made the choice to not hang around some of the cousins who weren't doing, you know, things that (laughs) they shouldn't have been doing. Um, And so, yeah. So you were spotting kind of things that, right, that could have negatively altered your life. And you were focusing on more of the things that would put you on the track of avoiding all that. Yes. Yes. And in that it, again, it it made myself a target. You know, I was labeled a sellout um, by people um, because I didn't want to do those, those things or, you know, I was the nerd. Um, But also during like my freshman year, uh, um, like my freshman homecoming, I didn't go. Um, I didn't plan to go again. We were, we were poor. Um, and so I knew that we didn't have money for that, but my sister, um, had my nephew, um, on my homecoming. Uh, and so, um, so yeah, so my freshman year, um, in high school, I was focused on my studies. Um, but then at that time, I believe my stepmom, um, was either out of state or in prison. Um, and so I was the sole or main caretaker of my two youngest sisters. Um, and they were like five and six at the time. Um, and so I was not only taking care of them being a high school student, but then I'd also babysit my nephew. Um, yeah. it was just fun. So, so you, have, you also shouldered a lot of responsibility then. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. A, a ton. What were some of the, some of the things that you got involved with while in high school? Yes. Yeah, so in high school, again, because I had that responsibility, I could not get involved in very much. Um, my freshman year, I did basketball and I loved it. Um, but then my sophomore year, I had to essentially quit basketball. Uh, part of that was because I just didn't have transportation. Um, like where I lived, a lot of people couldn't go to drop me off. Um, they were forbidden to go to that neighborhood. Um, and so with my dad working, um, I just didn't have anybody to pick me up from practice. And so I would literally be sitting after practice for an hour or two doing my homework in the hallway, watching the, you know, uh, maintenance and (laughs) the janitor go up and down the hallway sweeping. And so I was just like, I can't continue to do this. Um, and two, I think part of that was, you know, sabotage into making me realize that I was more needed at home than the basketball team needed me. Um, so I didn't get involved into trio again until the end of my sophomore year when Iowa State got the grant back. Um, and so that was then my major involvement was trio. Okay. So yeah, talk to us a, a little bit about that, uh, your involvement with the trio Bound program and how, how you came about and joining it and all of that. Yeah. Talk to us. About yeah. That. So, I mean, again, trio, I remember the day that Dr. Adjamand and uh, Paula Plath came to my high school. We were in the auditorium and um, they were recruiting and they were talking about this program. Like you can come to Iowa State on Saturdays and we'll tutor you. And then in the summer you can live in the dorms. Mm. And for me, I just remember thinking like, this is my chance. This is my opportunity. I have to get into that program. 
Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So again, I told you before, I didn't like summers, um, partly because uh, in during the school year, you know, if you're a low income student, you got breakfast and you got lunch. Um, And so for me, school was a safe haven because it provided me with a stable meal Mm-hmm. And a place where I knew I was safe. Like I wasn't going to get in trouble. I wasn't going to get, you know, hit on or any of those things that were happening at home. Um, and so I liked school. And in the summertime, there was no structure. <laughs> there was eight, nine girls at home, no babysitter. We were always, you know, fighting each other, arguing about this and that. If we didn't make it to the lunch bus to go get the free lunch across town, then we might've been eating like, you know, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. We called it goober because we just stirred the peanut butter and jelly sandwich or some peanut butter and jelly together and slapped it on bread. Cause when you're making nine or 18 sandwiches, um, that's a lot of work. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I didn't like being at home. So when I saw upper bound, I was like, yeah, we have a summer program. I was like, yes. So Saturday mornings, I had something to do. Yeah. Sundays were dedicated to church, but then in the summer, then I had something to do. And so I was like, wow, this is a great place to get me out of this environment that I already don't like. Um, and so when I got in, um, I was like so happy. It was like the best time of my life. Um, I think if you're a trio participant, it gives you that sense of family because in upper bound, you know that everyone else there is first gen or and or low income. Right. And you also know that they want to change. And right. so like in my in my neighborhood, yeah, we're all, you know, low income, you know, first gen, maybe didn't graduate high school, yeah. but that desire to change isn't among everyone. And so when mm-hmm. you get around people who come from similar situations but have like goals, it was, you know, very inspirational and very motivational for you and all the students to do better because you're around people who want to do better. Um, And so I appreciated it for that fact. And I bonded with the students in Upper Bound. I mean, to this day, the people that I communicate with um, and that I'm friends with from my high school years are the the students who are in TRIO that were in Upper Bound with me. Um, And so it it was at that turning point that it was like, you're no longer the nerd. You're, you know, they love that you got, you know, straight A's during your junior year. That's awesome for them. That's proof that their program worked. And so, like I said, my junior year, which was the first year completely in upward bound was the year that I got 16, 15 A's, one B in my, of my grades. And I read like all of those books. And so I was like, you know, it encouraged me to do, um, to do better. Uh, These summer times, gave you the opportunity to see what campus was like, see the dining hall, see other, you know, see college students in their environment Mm -hmm. um, and take classes and challenge yourself. Um, And so for me, that was a haven. Um, And I am thankful for that because like I um, had mentioned, um, I didn't know where my biological mom was when I was um, a child, but at 10, she came back into my life. And so I would see her during the summers um, in Indiana. She lived in uh, Gary, Indiana. And so I would go there for the summers. Um, But had I not been an upward bound, um, I actually received, like my mother passed away and I received that news um, during lunch. It was a lunch break Mm -hmm. um, during the summer program. And so 
had I not been in that environment, I'm not sure of what my mental state would have been. Um, I know at home, I did not have the support, you know, the students at Upward Bound and the director um, and the staff, the RAs rallied around me during that time um, yeah. when I got the news. Um, and so to me, that's why TRIO holds a special place in my heart because I was like, man, at my lowest, they were there. Um, you know, when I went home um, after getting the news, um, you know, I, ha I went home to like a father who didn't even like hug me and say, you know what, I'm sorry for your loss. Like that was the environment that I was going back home to. Mm -hmm. um, and so it felt good to be around people who cared and, you know, saw that I was going through a hard time. And this was two days before my 17th birthday that my mom passed away. So it, you know, it, you know, kind of like you're celebrating the, the highest, you know, you're born, but then two days before you're celebrating you being born, the person who gave birth to you has left this earth. Um, and so, yeah. And so I'm thankful for that because it provided structure for me during that time and to not focus just on the grieving because after a funeral, I went right back to the summer uh, program and I was, you know, back in my classes um, and I wasn't at home thinking about how, you know, sad I could have been. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so again, <laughs> that is why TRIO will always hold like a special place in my heart. Well, first off, Janelle, so sorry about your loss. I know it's been, you know, a while, a long time, uh, but still that, uh, good that you had that support from the Upper Bound family and TRIO to lift you and, and provide a safety net. Um, yes. Because I know that for a lot of students, that could be very challenging. That that could be yes. the reason why they no longer engage with school or they no longer want to participate with anything. They just kind of withdraw, right? So yes. uh, very grateful that you were able to find support in TRIO and continue forward. Yes, very crucial time. Yeah. So we're at about an hour. I wanted to know, do you need a break? Do you need like no, a water break or okay? You, yeah. I think I could still talk. I'm 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 good. So uh, we can keep going. Um, so with that said, do you have a particular memory of Upward Bound, either a trip or a activity or something that sticks out in your mind that you really enjoyed? Yeah. So um, I really enjoyed the uh, student leadership conferences. Um. Uh, they were Mayop back then, and I know uh, now it's EOA um, mm -hmm. for the Midwest. Um, but they, yeah, we would have student uh, leadership conferences in Wisconsin at the Abbey. And so for uh, me, it was like all the other programs in the Midwest also came there. Mm -hmm. So it was great to see, you know, students of color from all different states. And so for me, again, uh, I'm biracial. Um, my environment. So, you know, in Iowa, I lived in a black neighborhood, but I was, you know, predominantly white. Um, and so seeing all the other trio programs, I was like, man, there are a lot of, you know, people of color in trio. And so it kind of opened my eyes, but I got to meet people from different states. So a uh, very crazy story. Um, yeah, tell us. I was just reminded of this the other day. Um, so we were at the student leadership conference and before we leave, it was the last day. And there was a speaker who said, um, hey, you know, turn to two people and, or before you leave, get an autograph from two people. And so we're writing our name down on this piece of paper and then we hand it to two people. You know, I'm talking to somebody and it's like, oh yeah, hi, you know, um, 
I'm from St. Louis. My name is da 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 da. And so I'm like, okay, didn't think anything of it. Um, I was just like, cool experience because I had been to the conference two times um, and I met tons of people. And this is pre Facebook, you guys. This is not like, hey, go find them. <laughs> go look them no up. Social media, no social media, no social networking like that. So this is like, hey, if you didn't have their address or you know, maybe their email address, you weren't connecting with these people outside of that, you know. Um, and so so I take a, a name from somebody nearby me. Um, fast forward, my freshman year um, in college, I'm at Iowa State, and I had a uh, English class. And so I think I had to miss a day, but I went to the first day and this English class was in my dormitory in the computer lab. So it was around the corner. Um, and so I remember talking to a class about me missing class and I was like well yeah I have to miss class but I'll just get the information from Joe and I was like hold on I was like I haven't talked to him Joe is the other the only other uh, black person in my English class and I was like how do I know his name is Joe and I was like what the heck I was like that's weird I was like I never even introduced myself and so it come come to find out Joe was the person at the trio conference that I exchanged autographs what? with. yeah and so <laughs> Uh, I was like, yeah, I was wondering why I knew your name was Joe. And I was like, where do I know you from? And he was like, yeah, I was in Trio and St. Louis. I was like, oh, we met at the student leadership conference. Yeah. And so it was very interesting because I moved to Dallas and Joe lives here in Dallas. And so we were just talking about wow. that two weeks ago of like, wow, that's so crazy <laughs> that we exchanged, you know, autographs. And then we ended up being in the same English class and we're at the bus stop realizing that we knew each other um, yeah. from the Trio uh, leadership uh, conference. So so yeah, just going to the conference and meeting people and it's like, who would have thought that that person would end up being in my English class? And what so, world. yeah, what a world, pre-internet. Um, yeah. yeah, I couldn't stalk him or find him and had no idea he would come to <laughs> Iowa State. So, so yeah, so that's one of my uh, favorite memories. That's amazing. That is amazing. Yeah. Um, so this high school experience definitely started kind of defining you. It sounds like you started growing into this uh, person with a forward thinking education yes. um, kind of mindset. Mm -hmm. While in high school, did you have a mentor or a counselor that talked to you about college? Um, in my high school, I did not have anyone in the school that talked to me about college. Um, and this was again, because I was the whole fly under the radar. Mm -hmm. um, I had a 3.7 GPA, so I was a great student academically, um, but I wasn't somebody who garnered attention. Um, and from the outside looking in, you know, maybe counselors didn't think I had a chance. Uh, my two older sisters, which in a small town, everybody kind of knows you by your last name. Um, and so my two older sisters like went to the community college and dropped out. So maybe they were like, you know, um, and people probably knew of the circumstances I came from, I mean, uh with some of the things that were going on it was you know in the newspaper and common all so it wasn't like uh <laughs> i was totally under the radar but yeah not very many people uh took me under their wing and was like yeah i see potential in you mm -hmm. um and so it wasn't until upper bound um and dr adjaman um you know she obviously saw my grades because in upper bound they do grade checks and so she was like, you can, you know, come to Iowa State, you can get this tuition award. Mm -hmm. And two, I believe at the time, 
uh she was on like the mayop board so she knew about the mayop scholarship that they gave out and so she was like you can apply to this um because she knew that i was you know very low income um and so without financial aid of some sort i wouldn't have been able to afford college so it wasn't until upper bound um and she took me under her wing and and looked out for me yeah that's amazing it, it really takes only one person to notice your value and the notice yes. that you you can bring a lot to the table that really makes a world of difference. Yes, your potential. Yeah, absolutely. So, what were your feelings toward college? I, when I talk to students, I am like just straight transparent with them. Mm -hmm. I college was my escape plan. Like, I didn't think I realized the depth um, of college and what all it took. Mm -hmm. I just knew that that was my ticket out of my neighborhood. I was like, I got to go to college because I'm familiar with education. I was familiar with, you know, somewhat of the college life because of Upper Bound in the summer program. And yeah. so I was like, I can do this because I've been a good student. And that commonality of education carried me um, over into going away to college. I wasn't worried as much about going away because I knew that I was comfortable in being a student and I was a great student. And so that helped carry me over that bridge. Um, and so I didn't fully grasp what college was mm -hmm. until I got there. But in high school, I saw college is my way out of this. If I want something different, I have to do something different. And that's going to come from me going to college. Absolutely, that's amazing. And uh, as you looked at the colleges, uh, well, first, let me, I don't wanna be presumptuous, were there other colleges that you were considering? Were there uh, yeah. colleges in your conversation that you were like, hey, I might want to go here? Yeah. And so, yeah, there was several that I looked up. Um, you know, there was, I didn't do a lot of research um, because, you know, listeners, this is pre like real high speed internet. This was back when you had to download and use your phone line <laughs> to do. Get off the, the phone, mom. <laughs> and this is AOL, the, you know, the screechy white noise you hear. Oh um, and so, you know, my dad still monitored how many minutes we were online. Um, and so I remember thinking like I wanted to do something with writing and I knew about journalism. I wasn't fully sure what English like a major did or was. And so I was looking up like top journalism schools and Michigan State University was one. I was like, man, it's way, I can get away. <laughs> um, and it's a top school and it's big and I want to be somewhere big, you know, kind of reinvent myself and start over. Um, so I looked up Michigan State and I kind of had my eyes set on that one. Um, once I decided on English though, I knew University of Iowa was a great school because they have the famous creators uh, the writing program for creative writers. Um, and that's what I ended up going into. So I was just looking at the weight of the programs when I initially started looking at colleges. Um, mm. But then other factors played into my choice and what I chose. Okay. Did you get a chance to rank them or was there a preference there? I did not get a chance to rank them um, because oh, I think reality, you know, set in for me uh reality set in of like can you afford to go to college ah. um but also i was the primary caretaker of my sisters in college and so i mean in high school and so i knew that i could not go far from home being the person who was their caretaker and their only in a sense maternal 
um, figure, although it was, I was their sister, their maternal figure. Um, I knew that I couldn't go far. And so Iowa state from where I live is about where I lived was about an hour. Um, I did receive the full tuition scholarship. Um, and I was comfortable with Iowa state. Like I knew Dr. Adjaman was there. And so, you know, having lost my mom, you know, not having parental guidance, I knew that I needed to stay somewhere where I could kind of have someone who looked would look out for me. And so for me, Iowa State was just the only choice because it made sense. I could go home on the weekends. And so when I got to college, I did go home on the weekends um, a lot to make sure that my sisters were okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And if I need to get home again, it was only an hour away. Right. I think that for that's also another common theme among first generation students is trying to Mm -hmm. find a, a school that's still close enough to visit family but, um, you know, still being a little further away so you could start developing your own sense of identity and developing kind of your own persona, right? Um, I know for me, uh, and I'll share this with you very quickly, Janelle, is that um, the only school, and I think uh, my director at the time, Doris Anaya, so shout out to Doris, she took us to a variety of New Mexico schools. So I'm originally from New Mexico and we went to New Mexico State, UNM. Our home university was Eastern New Mexico University. That's where I ended up attending because I thought that's the only school that's going to take me. And it's close yeah. enough to home. That's the yeah. only one that I want to go to. And then you, you've become hyper fixated on, you know, going to that one college. Yeah. And then too, you kind of, in that process, you kind of self-sabotage. Mm. Um, and mm. what I mean by that is like, you don't apply to the other schools. And I didn't, because I didn't want to know that the possibility was there. Right. I didn't want to oh know God. that I could have gotten into Michigan State and this could have been. And so I self-sabotage by not even applying because I didn't want to have to accept that reality that in essence, I was settling for Iowa State. And so I made that my only option. Um, and so even in trio, I do work with students who will do that. They will yeah. self-sabotage. And oh my God. You know, they don't like to know that they didn't get in or they got rejected. But I also on the other end, I'm like, I want you to know that you are good enough to get yeah. into this school. Like, yeah. even if you don't decide to go, just know that you were good enough. So you can, you know, wipe that from your mind because I'm telling you you are and I want you to apply so that you can see that you are. Um, and so, yeah, so I see that self-sabotage when working with students as well, because I, I was there. Yeah. yeah I, I, I was there. I feel like I owe you for a, like a counseling <laughs> session. Now we, we've gone through several themes that we've processed together. I'm like, oh my gosh, I never thought of it that way before. <laughs> But to the students listening, if, if we have students listening, that definitely you are worthy enough, you are more than capable enough to, to apply to a college that you don't have to settle for your, your home college that sponsored your TRIO program. You can definitely go out and explore others for sure. Yeah. But if you do choose your home, you know, TRIO program, I understand why, because you do have that connection. It's like a family. And partly that's the benefit of, you know, TRIO being at that campus is that they know students are going to go there because, right. you know, they get comfortable with it. And there's that home and yeah, there's that pipeline that's been built. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So you ultimately decided to attend Iowa State University to pursue your bachelor's and master's degree. Can you talk to us about that decision and what really what spoke to you about Iowa State? Yep. So like I said, Iowa State kind of, you know, chose me or TRIO chose it for me. Um, My uh, reason for picking English, there's a lot of people, you know, like, oh, why did you pick English? Did you want to be an English teacher? Uh, No, that was not the case at all. Um, 
actually English again, going back to third grade was the area where I got feedback from instructors or from mm -hmm. teachers. And mm -hmm. so I was encouraged. Like, again, when you're a student who gets all A's and B's, it doesn't tell you what you're good at. <laughs> it's just like, okay, you passed that class. Um, and so receiving feedback from my English teachers of, you know what, I really like your writings. You know, the science teacher wasn't like, you're really good at this. I had an A in science. I had like a perfect and, you know, introduction to physical science. But, you know, the teacher didn't encourage me in that way. The English teacher took the time to read my work, which was a lot about my life, and give me feedback and say that they liked my work. And so over the years, because of my environment, writing was the thing that kept me sane. Um, writing, you know, paper and pencil will, you know, let you explore your thoughts but they won't tell you to shut up like mm -hmm. you know maybe you know a parent will or somebody who doesn't want to hear you and right. so for me writing was the place that I went to um, because I didn't have anybody um, and so I created this relationship with writing um, all throughout my high school years and so I took that and was like I'm going to get an English degree and continue writing and so for me, writing was my therapy because it, back in those days, you didn't talk about therapy. And uh, my only, honestly, my only recollection of therapy or hearing of therapy was when I would, you know, had, you know, someone go through rehab for drug addiction and they talked about it. Like that was my connection. And so I was like, okay, I don't need therapy because that's when you have drug addiction. Mm -hmm. um, and so I majored in English because of that. And since I was just in survival mode, right? I didn't have a plan of what I was going to do after I graduated. Like, I was like, you know, they tell you, oh, you, to be successful, you need a college degree. And so I was like, okay, I'm gonna get this college degree. Nobody in my family has gotten one. So that puts me on the map and then I'm gonna be successful. Mm -hmm. And so you get the college degree and, you know, I worked hard. I actually graduated early um, from college and I was like, yeah, I'm gonna get this degree and I'm gonna be successful. Well, I got the degree, but I still didn't know that I needed a resume. I needed to, you know, seek jobs. Like I, there was that gap. Mm -hmm. And so for me, what I did know how to do was I knew how to work hard. So I ended up working in a pasta factory um, because it paid good money. Mm -hmm. um, and I, you know, put pasta in a box and put that box in a box and it made great money. And I was... 22 at the time I graduated when I was 21 so I was 22 at the time and I was pregnant and I had just turned 23 and this was during 2007 uh during the recession mm -hmm. and so we were at the factory we were um kind of forced to work overtime um and so I worked 12 hour shifts and so I was nine months pregnant working 72 hours a week um and wow. so steel toe boots standing up on my feet all day and I was like this isn't the life I want, but I would always find myself uh, grabbing a piece of paper and writing um, and thinking about how I could inspire students because during undergrad, I chaperoned students to the leadership conference. I was an upward bound tutor. I was an mm -hmm. upward bound RA. And I remember thinking like, man, I really love working with students. I miss that. And so when I was at the, you know, <laughs> the pasta, you know, uh, factory, I would be thinking about working with students. And I was like, I need to go back and get my master's. And I would always remember 
the story of me telling Dr. Adjaman during that first year of Upper Bound of like, one day I'm going to have your job. And I, and I told her that I was like, I'm gonna have your job one day. And I was at the factory. I was like, okay, I make good money, but like, I'm not making an impact. What am I doing? And two, they don't care about me. I'm nine months pregnant, working 72 hours a week. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so I applied to grad school and I got in, um, and during grad school, um, in order to get into program, you had to get an assistantship. So I got in an assistantship where um, it was with uh, the early opportunity or early outreach program and college bound. So I would, you know, when gear up or trio students came to campus, I was in charge of their visit. Um, and in the summertime, I had summer programming. And so it was perfect because as a trio participant in upper bound, I was like, this is awesome. Like mm-hmm. I love the summer program. Yeah. So I actually wrote a proposal um, as a grad student to work with educational talent search to provide their students because they didn't like upper bound, they didn't have a summer program component. And so as um, a grad student, I wrote a proposal. And so we brought in the ETF students for the summer program. And these students stayed on campus for one week from Sunday to Friday. And uh, we provided a host of activities for them around, you know, college, career, um, education, uh, self-development, teamwork, all of those, all of those areas. And so, um, yeah, so it really hooked me in. I was like, I definitely want to work with youth. Um, and so um, during that time, I actually was able to, my boss was um, Carmen Flagg and she was over the scholarship program that um, I was in as an undergrad. And so I was familiar with her and I knew her work and she was awesome. And mm-hmm. so she really helped to um, nurture me um, into the professional I am today. Yeah, that's amazing. So Janelle, I want to uh, really t- take it quickly, very back, uh, that transition period between high school and college. For you, what was that like? High school and college. Okay, yeah, that was the one of the tougher times mm. in my life. Mm. Uh, when you go from high school to college and you're a great student, and I've seen this with my trio students, when you're a student with a higher GPA, you're not used to studying. And so you go into college thinking, I don't have to study. I'm naturally smart. I got this. Mm. It's not until you get into college is like you learn the system of high school. It may not have been reflective of your intelligence, but you knew the system and you knew how to work the system to get the grade that you desired or to get the A. But when you get to college, you have to learn how to study. This is a whole different world, a ball game. And so when I got to college, again, in my high school career, I had never gotten a C. You know, I had gotten A's and B's. Mm-hmm. I got into college and I got my first C and I got my first F. Mm. And I'm going to date myself. But this was the first time that I had gotten F. And back then, if you wanted to see your grade on a test, it wasn't electronic yet. They posted your grade outside of the instructor's oh, office. Yeah. And you had to walk across campus. It was like, it's going to be posted at six o'clock at night. So if you wanted to see your grade, if you're interested, you went six o'clock at night and saw using your student ID. I think that's probably illegal now. <laughs> using your student <laughs> ID number. And you looked and you saw your grade. And I went six o'clock at night, saw my grade, and I had gotten an F. And I walked back to my dorm. It was about 10 minutes. And I had gave myself a mental cussing out. Mm. And I was like, 
you are here because you want to be here and you didn't put any effort into studying for that test and you got an F, like, what are you doing? And it was kind of a wake up call for me. It was like, you can't just waltz in here and think you're going to get a good grade. This is not high school. Get your stuff together, girl. Get it together now. And so I like verbally, you know, mentally cussed myself out from East Hall all the way back to my dorm um, and telling myself to get it together. I didn't have anybody who was going to do that for me. And so it was like, get it together. Um, And so I had to figure out what college life was about. I realized that part of my struggle was that in high school, as much as I didn't get to be a teen, being a parent to my sisters provided me with structure. And so I knew every day when I got home that if I didn't have to work, I had to help them do homework. I had to do hair. I had to get up and get them ready in the morning and on the bus. And I did my homework from between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. In college, I no longer had to clean up, make dinner, do hair, or, you know, take care of my little sisters, help them with homework. It was just about me. And I wasn't used to anything being about me. And so I was able to procrastinate. And I could say, you know what, I'll do that later. Mm -hmm. I never had that opportunity to say, I'll do that later. I'll do that later. And so for me, going to college wiped out my whole structure and my system. And I had to figure myself out and start from scratch. And that was a struggle for me because, again, nothing (laughs) was about me in my world, in a sense. Nothing was really about me. And so I struggled in that sense. And I needed, actually, I found friends who would let me, like, I was friends with guys, and I would go over and clean their place sometimes. Because for me, that was how I kept saying was I had to be busy and I had to have things on my schedule. And so several weekends, I would go back home because again, I needed that structure of taking care of my sisters um, to keep me on track. Um, And two, being in the dorms was quiet. Mm. I grew up in the not so great neighborhood for loud music and people fighting at 2 a.m. Like when you're in a new environment and you come from the environment of chaos, silence is disturbing. Like Mm. you're like, what's wrong? Like this Mm. isn't... Although people would look at the situations and say, well, you're in this great environment, it's safer, it's this. But when that's not your normal, you have to adjust to that. And it makes you reevaluate a lot of things. And you realize what are the things that made you comfortable and not comfortable because they're better, but comfortable because that was your normal and that's what you knew, right? And so that's kind of, I struggled when I went to college. It wasn't until, you know, my best semester was, you know, a summer where I was an upper bound RA. I think I got a 3.5 right. that semester awesome. uh, because again, yeah. <laughs> I was busy. I was with mm-hmm. the kids all day and I had between 10 p.m. and 2 a.m. to do my homework. So, yeah. so yes. <laughs> so it sounds like structure really works out for you that what, so long as you have structure, you're able yes. to perform at the level that you want. Um, yeah. What did you enjoy most about your undergraduate experience? Were the things that you got involved with at ISU? Yes. So I was involved in the Black Student Alliance. I was involved in my scholarship, Multicultural Visions Program scholarship. I was a peer mentor and I taught uh, the class for the freshmen. Um, I was involved in student support services uh, my junior and senior year. Um, I got involved in National Conference on Race and Ethnicity, uh, NCORE, ICE Corps project. Um, so 
what that is, is that you're selected to go to the National Conference on Race and Ethnicity. It's always um, in a different city each year. Mm-hmm. Um, that year, it was New York. Um, and so we go to the conference, but then the Iowa State project or part of it is that when you come back your uh, fall semester, you take a class on um, issues um, and then you present in that uh, following spring at the Iowa State Conference on Race and Ethnicity. So you're um, assigned to a certain um, ethnic group um, that you explore and then you present a topic on something relevant going on at that time. Um, and so I really enjoyed college for that. Um, so aside from being an English major, mm-hmm. I also was a social minor, but I took every class that they offered on like race and ethnicity. So I was taking, you know, African-American studies, Latino American studies, uh, Native American literature, because they didn't have a Native American studies and they didn't have an Asian American studies. And so I requested when I took the Encore I score um, class that I be assigned the Asian group so that I can learn. Um, about uh, Asian Americans. Um, And so I really enjoyed that and learning about race and ethnicity. Um, It was in college that like my mind opened up. I think you're, we're so caught up in our realities um, that for me, where I grew up, being black was synonymous with being poor. Mm -hmm. And so going to college and seeing that there were students of color that weren't poor, was like mind blowing to me. Like mm-hmm. I had just automatically made this some assumption. Like, you know, I'm in Iowa and I'm black and I live in this horrible neighborhood. And this, you know, the living conditions aren't aren't great. It's obviously extreme poverty. And then in the summers, I would go to Gary, Indiana, which is you know majority black and also extreme poverty. And so those were the two things that created my reality. So when I was meeting like you know people from like the suburbs of Chicago, not too far from Gary, right. and they like came from money and they had nicer cars, like I had to rearrange my perspective of what it meant to be black. Although I was striving for greatness and I wanted this, it was like wow, there are people who have already achieved this. But that wasn't something that I saw that was part of my reality. And so I enjoyed that college opened me up and, you know, meeting people from all throughout the country um, was awesome. That's amazing. So I'm going to ask you this next question. It's kind of, I'm going to blend them together, but feel free to separate, separately answer them. Um, Mm -hmm. You majored in English at ISU. You talked to us about Mm -hmm. what inspired you to get there. Um, But really what drew you to the program and follow up is, was there a career goal in mind as you pursued this program? Right. So as I mentioned previously, like there wasn't necessarily a clear career goal. Um, aside from, you know, I want to write a book about my life. I still do. You should, <laughs> that, definitely. That I'm, that I'm working on. I just knew that like, again, that was my therapy. Um, and two, I have some crazy stories that people are like, did that really happen? Sometimes I look back <laughs> on my life and I'm like, did that really happen? Um, but I think, you know, not to write the story to tell all the crazy stories, um, or write a book to tell the crazy stories, but to provide like encouragement and empowerment of like, I came from these situations and sometimes it can be hard to believe that what I came through is true. And if I can come through this, if you learn to understand the power of your power to choose Mm -hmm. and the choices that you make. You mm-hmm. too can change the trajectory of your life. You, are, you do not have to be a product of your environment. Um, and so that was my motivation was like, I'm going to major in English and I'm going to write a book. I wasn't sure if I wanted to be um, 
uh, English teacher, if I wanted to write seriously, I just knew that I wanted to write a book. Um, and again, that was the thing that was carrying me. I didn't have the full picture. Mm. <laughs> I just had, I was, I was putting it together piece by piece. And it was like, this one thing is going to carry me over to this and then I'll work it from there. And so mm. I was literally in survival mode throughout my yeah. whole time. Um, and so that's what directed me to English was that I could write and I was good at it according to, you know, my teachers from third grade on up. And um, that was my therapy. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's amazing because it worked out for you because it, it sounds like you accumulated a lot of experience as an educator and mm -hmm. you did that while you're your, uh, during your undergrad program. Um, yeah. It almost makes me think, was that intentional? Like, was there, was there an intention behind you being an educator? Yeah, I think that I kind of like fell into it. It, again, if it, I, I know this is my cliche, but if it weren't for a trio, like, honestly, I wouldn't have, because I remember thinking of how grateful I was for trio getting me to college and staying connected with Dr. Adjaman and wanting to be connected with Upper Bound in some type of way, because I just was so thankful for the changes um, and the benefits that I received from the, the program that I wanted to give back. And so when they needed someone to chaperone to the you know youth conference i love the youth conference heck yeah sign me up and actually i you know wrote joe into being the the male chaperone that i met at the youth <laughs> conference i'm like he's been to the youth conference he's going here let's be chaperones yeah. so me and joe were chaperones to the youth conference um when they needed a tutor so i um i transported kids because where my hometown didn't have a, a high uh, number of students participating. And mm -hmm. so I would either, you know, take a car or a 15 passenger van. Um, and so I was solving a problem for upper bound because they didn't have to get a bus. Um, and so I would, you know, go transport the students from Fort Dodge, uh, bring them to campus on Saturdays, and then I tutored in English. And so during English, if they didn't have homework, we would just start talking about, you know, life and their plans and so it wasn't until then that I was like you know let me help them to do better than me and make their plan make sense right. um and so I really got into that encouraging students and so I was like man I really like doing this and then as an RA um I also got to spend time with students and encourage them and share my story um and to empower them to you know make sure that they uh use upper bound to its full benefit and trio to its full benefit um, but that they can do better. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, in that, that those experiences, again, are what I looked back on working at that pasta factory, um, and then what pushed me towards grad school. Right on. We're at the point of the podcast where, you know, do you want to take a moment to recognize the TRIO staff that made an impact on you? Yeah, yeah. So the TRIO staff who made an impact on me, I still have a relationship with, with to this day. That's amazing. So Dr. Adjaman, uh, she was the director of ETS um, and Upper Bound um, at Iowa State. She has since retired. Um, and so she, again, has kind of been there every step of the way, all of my like major life um, uh, events. She's mm -hmm. been there, like I said, when my mom passed away, but when I graduated college, uh, getting my master's, helping with that process, you know, when I had my son uh, working for her. Um, and um, it was very interesting because the job had come up when she retired and uh, she had called to tell me 
that uh, her job was going to be open because I had originally told her when back way back in, you know, 2000 that I wanted her job. And she was like, you know, this is an opportunity for you to to apply and take my job. And um, when I got that call, like, you know, she's telling me about it and I had to break the news to her. I was like, you know, sorry, Dr. Adjaman, I know the applications due Friday, but my stepmother had passed away. And so I was in the process of, you know, making arrangements for that. And I was like, I'm not going to have time uh, to apply. And so uh, unfortunately, I didn't get the chance to apply to that. Um, But I also knew that I wanted to leave Iowa. And so I didn't want to take a job and then leave. Um, I'm connected to students like that. And I don't want them to, uh, to have to go through another loss of a staff person that cares. But yeah, so Dr. Adjaman's been there. Uh, Japana Kellogg, he was a director of student support services. Um, he is now the director of the Encore I-Score project. And so as an SSS uh, director, he is what he is who got me involved in the Encore I-Score project. Um, but, you know, I could have, you know, just conversations, critical thinking conversations with Japana. Um, and he's been, you know, my references. Um, he's written letter of recommendations for me. Um, so he's been awesome. Um, and Paula Plath, who was the assistant director of Upward Bound, you know, I'll still talk to her. She still writes letters. I know those of you younger listening, that's foreign. You probably don't even know what a stamp is or how to get one. <laughs> she still writes letters. Um, and so uh, I've kept in touch with them throughout my life. They've kind of, you know, been a part of my life. Um, they've seen my journey. Um, mm-hmm. They know where I've come from and seen me to where I am um, this day. So yes, those are the people in TRIO that um, have helped me. Wonderful. Uh, so you also decided to go into a master's program. What inspired mm-hmm. that? Yep. Uh, so again, uh, the original inspiration for my master's program was, like I said, when I told Dr. Adjaman I wanted her job, I believe she told me, well, you at least need a master's, um, if not a PhD, because she has her doctorate. Um, and so being a director of Upper Bound uh, was the main motivation for going to get a, a master's degree. Mm-hmm. I was like, that was my, I'm going to be a, a Upper Bound director. I need a master's degree. So that was my original intent. When I got into the program, then I was able to see that there was so much more beyond TRIO um, that I could do, but TRIO was my motivation for getting a master's degree. That is amazing. So TRIO was the, was the thing that motivated you to get into the master's program and get the, get the degree to work in, yeah. that, in that field. Yes. That's yes. amazing. Um, we already kind of touched on how you found out about TRIO. So I'm going to go into this next question about your work experience, what was it like before entering the world of TRIO and after when you entered it? Um, yeah. how, how do you compare and contrast those? Yes. So after graduate school, I got a job with um, a organization that helps at-risk, at-risk youth. Mm-hmm. And so um, again, working from TRIO, I, honestly, TRIO has shaped my whole career because I was of this mindset of trio works. Mm-hmm. So why mm-hmm. switch it up? Like yeah. I know what works, why not just remix the things that have um, helped me? And so yeah. I would go into um, the, those classrooms in that job. I was the college um, success counselor. And so I would come in and tell the students about you know education and college opportunities and help them you know, bridge between uh, high school and college. And then when they got to college, I taught their like introduction to college class. Mm. Um, And so I honestly 
use the trio layout um, in that job. I would go in and do activities similar to what uh, a trio advisor would do with students. Um, and so then I had gotten the call that there was a trio position opening up in ETS. And so I applied for that. Um, and I said yes um, right away <laughs> um, when they offered it to me. And then going into TRIO, um, the organization that I worked for before doesn't have didn't have the budget that TRIO has. So I'm thankful to um, the budget and everybody who votes on the budget and gives the increases to TRIO. Thank you um, because you're able to create those experiences of the trips and if. For low-income students, you may not have a family vacation. Those were family vacation opportunities for me when I was in the program. Mm -hmm. um, and so in the world of TRIO, um, that is where I got to see on the inside the structure that makes TRIO work. Mm -hmm. And so I was able to fall in love with it even more because I could see the scaffolding that helped it um, keep its shape. Um, and so in that... Um, I started creating curriculum and things like that. And I started working with students, but then also mentoring students beyond, um, you know, the 12th grade when they graduated. So if students came to Iowa State, I helped them to formulate plan beyond Iowa State. What are they going to do when they graduate? Um, and so uh, that's what it was like in the world of TRIO. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Is yeah. having ideas and being supported to do those and you know, to, to help them live out. Right on. So let's talk about your company. You founded Time with Janelle. Talk to us about this educational venture and what inspired you to uh, undertake this new direction? Yes. So um, Time with Janelle. So Time actually stands for Transformation Through Inspiration, Motivation, and Education. I love um, it. And so, yeah. So after I left TRIO, I worked in a, an as an advisor slash pathway navigator. Um, and that was a great job. I loved it, I learned so much. Um, but I missed TRIO in the fact that um, I got to see that transformation, right? When you're working with students from seventh grade to 12th grade, and then you mentor them, even when they're in college and beyond, mm -hmm. I got to see all of those years. And I got to see them from this excited kid who maybe didn't know what they wanted to do into like graduating and living that dream. Um, and so time with Janelle really became um, burst in that as I was doing curriculum for a trio, people were hearing about me and my presentations and the work I did. And so they were requesting like, hey, you know, Gear Up would be like, can you do our financial aid night? Like, I heard you did it for this organization and the way you explain things to students is really good, you know, mm -hmm. and. And so having a degree in English, you know, they'd be like, can you help our students with scholarship essays? Can you do this? And so people were requesting me um, to help them. And so I was like, well, this seems like a business. And so TRIO is amazing, um, but I felt that I could bring the areas where TRIO didn't, I could then pull those pieces together and, you know, kind of be the glue. Um, yeah, yeah. TRIO is great for getting students to and through college. And for me, I think it stops there. And, and like we talked about earlier, like get a college degree and you'll be successful. Well, what do you do after you've attained that? Mm -hmm. And so helping students to see the bigger picture, to see you know that generational wealth. I don't want you to be a college student who paid a heavy, hefty price in student debt for this degree, thinking that that was the launch pad into success. Like there are still other steps that you have to take. And so 
helping students to realize that full puzzle versus like I did piece by piece. Like, let's talk about, you know, the career that you want to go into. Okay, well, you want to be a teacher. Your expected salary for the first year is going to be maybe 40 or 45,000, if that. What kind of lifestyle does that lead you? Mm-hmm. What are the financial decisions that you need to make in college so that you don't just graduate with a degree and a bunch of debt? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. And so I think that, you know, for me, I've made all the mistakes. I, I didn't have help. I almost got kicked out of the dorms my freshman year because I didn't have my U bill paid. Mm, And so I took mm. out all the loans that they offered me. So I wouldn't have that happen again, but that was a dumb financial mistake. And once you take out loans, once it's a click of a button to take the rest of the loans out your entire time in, in college. And so it's easier. So people, students aren't thinking about how this affects their financial future. And those decisions that they're making in college are really going to hinder or help the rest of their lives. And so working with students, I've had students graduate with little to no debt. Um, and so, you know, doing things like, you know, become an RA while you're in college so mm-hmm. that your scholarship can pay for your tuition, but you're being an RA pays for your housing, Absolutely. those types yeah. of things. Um, in my office, when I worked at Iowa State, I'm an extreme couponer. Um, <laughs> so I literally like went to Walgreens one Sunday with my coupons and I got like, $700 worth of stuff for like 60 bucks. Wow. And it was like, you know, deodorants and mouthwash and toothpaste and lotion. And I put all of those things in my office and, you know, students can come to my office and get those things. Why did I do it? Because one, I got it super cheap than what they could pay for it. But I was a student. If you go to Target for deodorant, one trip to Target, you can end up spending two hundred dollars that you didn't intentionally plan on spending. That's true. And so I would rather yeah. you come to my office <laughs> and get that that I got for you know twenty five cents that isn't hurting me, um, and get it from my office so that you, that's one less trip that you have to make, mm-hmm. um, and you can save money. But also, if you want to know about couponing and how to get these things cheaper, let me show you those things. And so helping them to make smart, you know, college career and financial decisions at the most important part of their life, because those four years, I mean, even six years, the decisions that you make within those mm-hmm. can change the trajectory of your lifestyle that's that amazing. you create after you graduate. And so mm. that's um, why I created Time with Janelle. Um, I will be doing uh, YouTube videos, helping to explain, you know, like that's students awesome. don't know, you can start applying to scholarships as early as, you know, 13, 14 years old. <laughs> A lot of students don't know that. I think no. that they, they're under the assumption is like, while I'm in college, I can apply or before I go to college, I can apply. But yeah, yeah, yeah. a lot of students yeah. know that you can start applying now. Yeah. Don't wait until your senior year because you're going to be worried about homecoming, applying to colleges. If you need to take the re- retake the ACT, you're not going to be thinking about applying to scholarships. And especially if it's your first one, like get used to the process in, you know, ninth grade, 10th grade. And then make your easy, your senior year easier and you might already have scholarship money. Yeah, <laughs> so, absolutely. Yeah. So, yeah, so those are the things that I want to focus on, like where to find those scholarships. So I essentially will uh, plan to create like a Facebook uh, page and do YouTube videos for the students who don't have a counselor telling them these things. Like, why shouldn't you be able to go on YouTube and find somebody who will give you that information for free? Mm-hmm. I don't believe that we should be a gatekeeper for information. No, absolutely. I'm right. open book. Like, let's get this information to you. You yeah. still have to act on it. 
Yeah. Why do you know, why am I holding it in? Like, let's get this to the masses. So yes. So that's, that's my intention with time with Janelle is to create a whole lifestyle versus, you know, getting students to college and through college. But yeah, that is amazing. So your work within education, it's phenomenal. I'm not going to ask you this next question because I feel like it's now a little level one. So I'm going to reframe it if you don't mind. Um, Because you've worked with education now for a while and you're seeing it in the lens of not only an an educator, but as an entrepreneur, uh, how, uh, what are some things that education should be doing or should be leveling up to get students prepared for college? Yeah, I think that when it comes to education, there is such a emphasis on four-year degrees. There's such an emphasis on four-year degrees. Um, And working, my last job was at a community college and working with career and technical programs. So me having a master's and six years of education, one of my first lessons as a trio advisor in seventh grade, we talked about, does more education mean more money? And so we dispelled that myth, seventh grade, first trio meeting. And the answer is no. And so a lot of students think that, well, I need to get this education in order to make more money. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's something that I don't want students to think. Like my students in my last, you know, they were auto mechanic students. They were graduating, making more money than me. And Mm -hmm. so I wish they would emphasize the career and technical programs more because you can go to a community college and you can graduate in two years and it's going to be cheaper. But you can just think like, while Johnny is taking English three or two Mm -hmm. in his third year and still has another year and a half to graduate or three, because it takes six years on average for a four-year degree, you can get out in two years and you have two or three years of earnings on top of that student that is still accumulating student debt. And so when we talk about the disparities in terms of understanding how the economics of that works, you know, um, I think that we don't talk about that enough. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're in, in Iowa, there's such a push for career and technical wow. that they could get those two years paid for a scholarship full tuition. And so it's like, oh. you're not paying anything for school and you're getting done in two years and you're earning good money. You may be earning more. And so like when you're looking at the whole point like we often spew that statistic of oh a four-year college degree is going to make x amount of thousands of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars over somebody with a uh, high school education and so in that we're discouraging the students who think that the four-year program is the only way to go mm-hmm. they're going to be like i don't even want to try mm-hmm. like why am i coming to school you know especially for you know our latino and uh black males like earning an income is almost expected of them when they graduate. Like you contribute to the family. So So you don't take on student debt for a possible career. And so that discrepancy, I feel like with that message, we're missing the students who fall in between and students have this self-conscious just idea about going to a community college. Like when I would ask students, I'm like, okay, what is going to be your plan? And they're like, I'm just going to go to the local community college. And I was, don't say just, that's still a good education. Mm -hmm. That may be your life path. Very true. And so we have to think, are we selling these kids a dream and an experience? Like everybody wants to go to the football game and this and, you know, sorority. And so looking at that, of how we frame education, but then also how we frame like the life 
that they're, it's, it's a bigger part than education. That's two or four years of your life, but there's so many more opportunities that, that we don't talk about and that we glaze over that we, you know, misrepresent for students. And I think that those are the areas where we need to concentrate. Like my brother graduated high school and he works in a steel mill in Indiana and he makes six figures. I have a master's degree and he makes more than me. My sister's a dog groomer and she got her education through, you know, PetSmart and she makes the same amount as me. And so it's like, we, we tend to overgeneralize these instead of looking at the specifics. And so helping students to really reverse engineer their dream of, you know, this is the degree that you, well, this is the area you want to go into. This is the education that you need. Okay, now let's make smart decisions on how we plan for that education so that we're not continuing, you know, the low income part of TRIO, right? Right, right. And so let's help you get a degree, but also help you not be low income. <laughs> yeah, to, to escape that poverty. And, and yes. I, I was ranting on Facebook recently about, uh, I'm very much uh, a person that believes in a human, a human conscious model or system that helps people um yeah. and some people would say i'm anti-capitalist but you know that's neither here nor there for now but mm-hmm. i absolutely agree that in order to lift ourselves uh whether whatever field that we want to be into we have to be able to educate ourselves have that opportunity and and be able to lift right to always yeah. be lifting others absolutely i love that also to talk about like financial responsibility like opportunities because nobody works themselves into being a millionaire and i'm not saying everybody's goals is a millionaire but like we don't talk enough about the financial piece of the investing in stocks and and like you know cryptocurrencies and things like that and i'm not trying to push that but like what are the ways that we can be smart with our money and help our money grow so that we're not working ourselves to the bone until i mean social security might not be there so how do we affect generations on the ideas and the and the work that we're putting in today. And so I want that to be emphasized. So, you know, when my students would um, come to my office at Iowa State, I would start having these conversations with them of like, okay, like student debt, like, can we work? You know, what are ways that we can cut down on this? Do you need to be in the, the, the biggest, best dorm? What are the ways we can reduce this? Um, what are ways that you can, you know, have opportunities outside of this? And so we would talk about, you know, like the Robin Hoods and start like investing and just understanding that that is an opportunity to start educating themselves on that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So we're getting closer to the end of the podcast. What, what is some general advice you would give to educators? Yes. Um, my advice would be make it practical. Students are going to care if it's relevant to them. Nowhere in my job have I ever filled out a bubble sheet for my paycheck or Mm -hmm. selected multiple choice question. Mm -hmm. The real world is about finding answers and you're not docked on your paycheck based on how you find those answers. And so empowering students to take their education into their own hands, but to find again, answers to create their own truth. When we tell them what the answer is or that there's only one answer. And yes, that's applicable in math. Yes, there are formulas, but we're taking away their critical thinking and their life skills of being able to, you know, have a problem, find information, figure out a solution. 
And so even in like the activities that I do, it's like, you know, you, you determine what career you want and then let's reverse engineer from there. Mm -hmm. Let's, you know, you get to decide the decisions that you make, but here are the criteria that you need to, to consider in that, but there's not a right or wrong answer. And so for a lot of educators, it sucks because you have to grade and you have to teach and there's standardized tests. Um, but think about the life application is they're going to be students for longer than they're in your classroom, prepare them for life as a student. They're mm-hmm. always going to be a student. They're always going to need to learn. So prepare them for that in any way that you can. I love that. Uh, mm-hmm. What about some advice to, uh, hold on, let me reframe that. Uh, <laughs> how about what, what, what life advice or general advice would you give to trio students? Yes. So life advice um, to trio students. Know that you always have a community in trio. That would be one. Like reach back, join the alumni associations, reach back because you have a network of people who have been through what you've been through and they want you to be successful. Um, Being a trio student though, I know that right now you may be in the situation that isn't the best, but know that you're not your standardized test scores. You're not your GPA. Know that school is a system. And sometimes your grades may be reflective of how you did within that system. It was a reflection of how you reacted to the teaching. That's not to say that that's the way that you've learned best, (laughs) right? That's the way, that was the grade that you got based on how the information was taught right? But you are not your GPA and you are not your test scores. Nowhere has my paycheck been based on my GPA or my test scores. Um, But two, there may be things that you learn and the way that you learn that aren't emphasized on those standardized tests. You may have different intelligences that are not um, deemed important by the curriculum or society. Um, If you, music, maybe you're musically inclined, that's not on the standardized test. And so don't think that because you didn't perform well, that that is where your value or your worth comes in society. You are important, you are valuable, you are needed, you are loved. Um, And those scores for a system that you didn't create is not reflective of that. Wonderfully worded, Janelle. That was, that's awesome. I think students need a constant reminder of that, of reassurance, right? It's, you're worthy. You're in higher education. You're in your field because you've done the work to to be there. That's amazing. Very good advice. Um, The true community is usually very supportive network of people that believe in their mission. That's, and that basic mission is college access. What objectives would you like to see added to trio? So I kind of mentioned this earlier of the whole life plan. You know, we have these students captured and we know that they have overcome barriers. And a lot of these students are just in survival mode. And we say that college access is, you know, the way to success. And it is, and we're overcoming barriers to help them obtain college access and to get to and through college. But I think that we need to go beyond and prepare them for life in terms of, you know, that, you know, financial piece. And we talked about, you know, learning how to budget, learning, you know, the difference in credits scores and what that means for your life, preparing them so that that can affect the generations to come. You know, TRIO is a catch-22. You know, you want to, the students to do better, but then if everybody does better, then you don't have anybody in TRIO. <laughs> and then right. the TRIO is not needed. And so it's like, you know, but 
we are all striving because we want better for our families. And so we can do better, but we also have to be mindful that there's some unlearning that some of our students need to do, students need to do, and we need to help them learn those bigger life skills to help them be successful beyond degree completion. Absolutely. Um, and so those are the things that the areas where um, I wish that, you know, the overall life planning and not just piece by piece. Absolutely. Agreed. Education is a constantly evolving field. How are you keeping yourself afloat of the changes that occur nearly every year? I heard you talk about some journals and articles that you always keeping afloat of, but how are you uh, updating yourself? Yeah. So I think that, you know, staying in contact with my former students, um, you know, uh, is, has been the biggest way to update myself because once I know that the challenges that they're going through, then an article is going to summarize um, and it's going to give you quantitative data. But I believe in that qualitative, when you can understand a student and what they're actually going through, then you can look at the solutions that need to happen. You know, like in the time in my office when students would stop by and they would talk about their struggles, that helped to shape my philosophy of how I teach and why I teach is because I was able to hear what they're going through and to be able to create or find solutions or help them to find their own solutions in that. And so I think articles and journals are great, but if we're not talking to the students who are going through it, then we're then making assumptions. And those assumptions may, may be based on our experiences or our biases. And so actually hearing from the students is the best way um, that I can, you know, keep abreast of the issues. Like I'm mentoring one of my students through my grad program. She's going through it now. And so, uh, yeah, that helps me. And so I think talking to the students, you don't know, we don't know what it's like going through college and high school with Facebook and social media and TikTok and all those things being a distraction. Mm -hmm. So we can talk all day about how they're not dedicated, but like, why do we think that they're not dedicated or motivated? What's distracting them? Yeah. Maybe how can we then use those tools to encourage them and inspire them? And so I think that we have to be tuned into the generation. I think that's super important. And you make a very strong point there. Is there any part of your education, uh, your experience, your attendance, any part of it that you would redo uh, or your experience uh, overall in college? Yeah. My biggest thing would be the student debt. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody wants to change that. <laughs> um, yeah, the student debt, but I think that if I were to change it, I wouldn't have gleaned my philosophy and, you know, from those mistakes, I wouldn't have taken what I've learned from those mistakes mistakes to help students avoid that. Like mm -hmm. taking out that student debt is why I'm passionate about making sure other students don't take out that student debt, you know, making sure that they find, you know, um, other resources um, to help them in college because there are tons and make sure that they know their resources to help them as college students. You know, I always say be a broke college student while you're a broke college student, because if you want to be a rich college student <laughs> or take out those student loans and act like a rich college student, you're going to be a broke professional. <laughs> like, yeah. um, and so I would not change any of that because I think that would alter the trajectory of where I went and the students that I've impacted. Right on. Is there anything you would like to share with trio professionals? Yes, understand that the work that you do is so valuable. It is priceless. Understand that the impact that you have for one student can mean the world. If upward bound 
you know, if Dr. Adjaman didn't think to write that grant and get the upper bound program back, I don't know where I would be. Mm. I don't know what turn my life would have taken. My environment told me that I was going to be an alcoholic, mm. um, a drug addict, uh, so many other things, so many negative things. But it wasn't until I got into trio that I could see that I could be more. You know, my mentor was a black woman with a doctorate degree, never met anybody. I didn't know what a doctorate degree was. Um, And so know that just you, you showing up and being who you are is impactful and inspiring to the students, although you may not know the ways and they may not say it because in some cultures and societies, we're not used to verbalizing it, but know that you are making an impact and an influence. So keep doing the work because TRIO works. I'm proof. Yes. Absolutely. I think you highlighted a very good point. I think that subconsciously we never really think about uh, how an impact we make as professionals uh, for those working in TRIO, right? You show up and students are impressed with, this is a person that looks like me. This is a person that has achieved what I think I want to do. Yes. So I, I'm so glad you, you brought that up. Yes, yes. I mean, impossible says I'm possible, you know? So Janelle, this was such a great interview. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for being on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Uh, Yeah, I appreciated your time today. Yes, thank you for having me. This has been an amazing conversation. I loved every second of it. We're going to have to have you return at some point to do a roundtable with other Trio alum or other educators. Would you be open to that? Yes, I would love to. I love talking about Trio. Awesome. (laughs) So this is the part of the podcast where we're going to have a guest sign off. This is where you kind of just lead us off and sign off on, on the podcast. Awesome. So hi, everyone. I'm Janelle Seward. I am the CEO and founder of Time with Janelle, which stands for Transformation Through Information or Inspiration, Motivation and Education. I am a TRIO alum through ETS, Upward Bound and Student Support Services. And this has been my motivation um, for my life goals, my educational goals and my career goals. So I am proof that TRIO works. Are you a participant, alum, or staff of a TRIO program? Do you want your program highlighted? You or your program could be featured in an upcoming episode of Let's Talk TRIO. Get a hold of us by going to our Facebook page or Instagram and send us a direct message. Search for Let's Talk TRIO. We want to get your story to the public. A big thank you to Janelle Seward for being on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Janelle, thank you so much for sharing your journey, your story, and your consultancy company with us. Uh, So for students, staff, or uh, even uh, parents, if you're interested in connecting with Janelle, we will provide the link. It is on the Let's Talk Trio podcast website uh, for this episode specifically. A huge thank you to our sponsors, Angelica Villalpando, Rosario O'Reilly, and Student Access. Thank you all so much for continuing to support the podcast. You too can be a sponsor of the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Head on over to Patreon, look up Let's Talk Trio, and select your sponsorship level. Our most basic level starts at a dollar a month. A dollar a month goes a long way in supporting this podcast. Remember, you too can be on the Let's Talk Trio podcast. You can nominate a staff member, an alum, a student, or an entire program to talk about your specific trio program 
and the institute that hosts you. We'd love to have groups, individuals on this podcast to talk about their story and their journey. Make sure you email us at letstalktrio at gmail.com. Again, that email is letstalktrio, L-E-T-S-T-A-L-K-T-R-I-O at gmail.com. A special thanks to our honorary members of the Let's Talk Trio podcast, Tony Ho, Roderick Chambers, and Scott Kendall. The Let's Talk Trio podcast team is John Russell, audio engineer, music producer, tech supervisor, editor, and tech advisor. Amelia Castañeda, social media manager, marketing manager, script supervisor, and producer. Juan Rivas, executive producer and host. We thank you all so much for the support that you give to the Let's Talk Trio podcast. Please remember to share and uh, provide support that way. Listen to our episodes, download our episodes. You can listen to this podcast on all major major podcast platforms. We thank you for the support, and we will catch you on the next episode.